Hello and welcome to Mystery Simon Theater 3000. I'm Simon, and I'm going to be taking you through my VHS collection of almost 3,000 tapes. In each episode, I'm going to be telling you about the three tapes that I watched, one of which is chosen via random number generator. The second one is chosen by my co-host, and the third one is chosen by a guest. And today's guest is Josh Lane, film enthusiast and local... Local friend of Johnny, as, a, as opposed to uh, international or national friend of Johnny. Yeah, resident of planet Earth. <laughs> yeah, then local. Yeah. <laughs> so, Josh, welcome. Thank you Thank for you. coming. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself in relationship to just like movies and media. I know we were chatting about the kinds of like other obsolete media that you own. Yeah. No, I I have a long-standing uh, fascination with uh, movies, but also like uh, movies at home, like how mm-hmm. you consume them at home is actually uh, more of my passion than actually going out to see a movie. Um, so it, it stems all the way back to when I was a, uh, a little boy and my dad took me to this like electronic shop, this small little electronic shop. Um, and we had this thing called uh, a VCD player, which if you know what it is, it's basically a record inside of a plastic jacket that RCA, like, it's basically a movie on a record. Mm-hmm. And we had, like, two movies. One was MASH and one was um, uh, Saturday Night Fever. And I wasn't okay. allowed to watch Saturday Night, Saturday Night Fever, and I was only allowed to watch the second side of MASH <laughs> because it only had the football game, none of the nudity. Okay. So that was, like, our first, um, you know, basically being empowered to watch a movie at mm-hmm. home when you wanted to. Oh, yeah. uh, and then... Uh, we went to that same little shop and I walked in and there was this TV with a different um, device underneath it that looked totally different than what we had. And they were playing that scene from Rambo First Blood where he's hanging on the cliff. And okay. I was just like, what is this? And the guy behind the counter is like, it's a VHS player. And I'm just <laughs> like, what is this? And my like child brain was like blown <laughs> Um, and so that kind of like started this whole chain reaction mm-hmm. of like, uh, falling in love with, uh, I think it's like this mesh of, or meld of the electronics and the movies kind of coming together and how you view them at home. Um, you know, my babysitter taught me how to like dupe tapes in the eighties. Um, so <laughs> definitely a child of VHS. Uh, I was a latchkey kid. So, uh, that was kind of, kind of my jam. So when was the first time you got to watch the first side of MASH? Um, oh, that was probably, I think, Laserdisc days. So like in the okay. 90s, I latched on the Laserdisc because they finally, I was like, if they ever come out with a, a player like $250 or less, I'm like, mm. I'm buying it. Uh, and they came out with a budget one, Pioneer did, and it was like 250 and I bought it. And then like my local video store was selling all of their rental Laserdiscs. And so I was like, I just grabbed as many as I could afford. That's so cool. Um, Which is part of one of our movies here. Uh, I originally saw on Laserdisc from that pickup. Um, But uh, yeah, I was like in the 90s, I was really, and that's when I got into like the audio around movies too, like surround sound and Mm -hmm. stuff started to come available, uh, you know, to people. And I put my, I made my mom's living room into like a surround theater and she was really upset that I hung speakers (laughs) on her wall. Um, But then, uh, yeah, and then I went, you know, early adopter of, like, DVDs. 
Mm-hmm. I used to walk into Best Buy and it's like, oh, they have like a shelf. There's like Purple Rain and Batman and like five others. And I was like, well, the day that they put Logan's Run mm. on DVD, that's when it's actually, t- you know, it's it's a legit thing. Like it's going to take off. It's going to be successful. It's an interesting That barometer. was like my litmus test. It's like, <laughs> it's obscure enough, but it was big budget enough. But it's like, it's one of those movies that you only release when the, the medium is mm-hmm. actually taken hold so i walked into a best buy at some point and they had like three aisles of dvds and i was like let's go to l and it was there and it was there and i was like okay where are the dvd players and that's when i bought a dvd player (laughs) um so so are you the when you reach this point in your film journey or your like a library journey were you replacing your old movies with DVDs? Because that's sort of like what happened in in my household with my dad. Anytime the new contraption came out, yeah. didn't look back. Yeah, um, a little bit. Yeah, so I like currently 4K. Mm-hmm. That's my jam. And when I pick up something on 4K, it's a little complicated now because now I have to go like online and research what is what is different about the mastering of it? Mm-hmm. Like, did they do like the the what is it, uh, teal and orange treatment, like to the color grading, which is oh. like in fashion? Uh, did they do that to this older movie? Mm-hmm. And do I need to keep my older movie? Like Terminator Two on 4K is a great example. It's terrible. Oh. Like it's got so much noise reduction that like uh, a lot of people's faces look like silly putty and stuff. And they did like this. (laughs) It's like a zoom filter. Yeah, yeah. And they they tweaked like the color grading. And so it's like, well, nope, sticking with like the Blu ray. So Mm -hmm. as I get these 4Ks, I'm like, actually, I have a friend. His name's Dave. He also has a massive movie collection. It's my my buddy back in Oklahoma. And he's like, he's got a large, we both have problems with collecting movies. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Um, We've had conversations around like, well, if we sat down and tried to watch all of our movies, we would never be able to watch all these movies. Why do we have so many kind of conversations? Which, like Johnny with books. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so, like, I will replace things or, like, I'll gift him things that, oh, do you have this? I'll send it to him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, my VHS tapes, I kind of carried those around. Uh, and then when I was leaving Chicago to move to Portland... I like revisited them because I was like, this is, a, I thought we were moving into a smaller place. So um, when I revisited, it, I was like, these are absolutely terrible to watch because they were like three movies crammed on tape. So they were like recorded, mm. duped at EP speeds. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, these are all going in the trash because nobody could possibly want these. Um, but yeah, I kind of, uh, I, I retain what, like, what's the current best version. Um, and thanks to you, Johnny, I have, and, and you, I have uh, a small little uh, VHS collection now. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've, I've been watching it. Really? I've been watching it. <laughs> yeah. mostly, uh, mostly the things that were really um, the movies that like I loved watching on VHS mm-hmm. uh, and some that are unique that just never made it to DVD or Blu-ray. Right. Interesting. Right. And uh, at least one title that we've discussed on this show before Mission Impossible. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which has, like, one of your... Uh, you've mentioned to me it's maybe some of the best audio on, on VHS in that title sequence. Yeah, uh, so, I man, I've been really fighting the urge to, like, buy a, a Laserdisc player again. 
uh, <laughs> and, and, and uh, yeah, if Amanda, my wife, was here, she would she would be urging me not to do so. Uh, but it's um, uh, you could still think about it, though. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah. But the funny thing is, they were expensive. Then they came down, and then you couldn't like gift them away. Now they're expensive again because they're all breaking down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the only people that have them seem to be people who oh, I know what I got. Um, yeah. And so I'm not going to spend like $450 on a Laserdisc player at this point. Like, right. But it was in this period where Laserdisc um, was getting uh, better audio. And a lot of them, like Jurassic Park has like a DTS copy that is literally the DTS audio mm-hmm. that they debuted in theaters pretty much. But nowadays, they're, e- they're EQing a lot of these soundtracks from the theater to home video to kind of compensate for people's like the general experience. Like somebody might have a sound bar, somebody might have a big system, but mm-hmm. like it's kind of, you know, the classic like, oh, I can't hear what they're saying. Yeah. Like the dialogue problem that right, we're right. experiencing. It's a small part of it, but like once it makes it to you, if, if it's on streaming, it's been EQ'd again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To suit like the taste, like maybe Hulu says, we want to make sure everybody can hear the dialogue. So we'll EQ it so that dialogue uh, is boosted, things like that. So, right. but the Laserdisc days were very much you're an enthusiast who wants to see like the best representation of the movie because it's in widescreen. It's also got the truest audio because we're just literally taking what we had in the theater and we're putting it on this disc. Right. Um, and it's where like digital sound started that got incorporated to DVD and stuff like that. But um, yeah, so like Mission Impossible was definitely one of those uh, expensive laser discs that I bought um, and saw it a million times. And but yeah, the Worth sound, every penny. Yeah. The <laughs> sound on that still, even with the newest 4K, which is much, much better than the Blu-rays that ever treated it mm-hmm. and the DVDs, uh, it just doesn't have the like the same punch uh, yeah. that that laser disc did. So right. Wow. The R3 movies... Uh, that we watched this week is Halbert Hitchcock's 39 Steps, Clint Eastwood's uh, A Perfect World, and David Fincher's Panic Room. Uh, we're going to start with with Panic Room because I want to leave more room. I, I'm pretty sure we're going to go down some rabbit holes with your pick, which is A Perfect World. And we're definitely going to go down some of these exact same rabbit holes with uh, 39 Steps and transfer issues and... Um, Weird distribution, like film distribution theories yeah. <laughs> as non-experts. This is a movie that we watched uh, fairly recently. I've been a longtime listener of the Blank Check podcast, and they had pretty recently done David Fincher's filmography. So I was able to grab our copy from the collection and watch it when we were doing that. And we enjoyed it the first time around. We enjoyed it the second time. I do feel like it's just a little a little too long in a couple of places. And I, although I do appreciate all of the intricate camera work, I think it goes a little too far in a few places. But um, uh, really, good, really big fan of this cover. I think that when we actually do see this moment in the movie, it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's one of those where just like, oh, you know, you see the meme, you're just like, the meme is coming. The meme shot is coming. <laughs> That's what it felt like here. And it was just such a wonderfully tense and well choreographed scene. Um, it was really satisfying by the time we actually got to it. Or I found it really, really satisfying. Uh, let's see. So no 
Nothing else on the front besides Jodie Foster's above the title. And here we go. Trapped in their New York brownstones panic room, a hidden chamber built as a sanctuary in the event of break-ins, newly divorced Meg Altman, Jodie Foster, and her daughter Sarah, Kristen Stewart, play a deadly game of cat and mouse with three intruders. Burnham, Forrest Whitaker, Raoul, Dwight Yoakam, and Junior. Junior was his name? Junior was his name. I thought it was a nickname. Maybe even was his game. <laughs> Jared Leto. During a brutal home invasion. But the room itself is the focal point because what the intruders really want is inside it. Bit of a, that's kind of a little bit of a, I don't know, that's also a trailer scene though. Like what we want is in that room. Yeah, you, right. I, you, you learn it early on enough. I don't feel like that's given too much away. I guess. It's a nice tight log line though. It is really nice and tight. It's a. It's also very kind of matter of fact. Um, and there is nothing else. I would have thought that this, I remember when this movie came out, it, it, I'm pretty sure it did really well. At least I remember it not being a, a flop or a bomb. And critically, I'm pretty sure it was well received. So I'm just a little surprised there are no uh, reviews to sell it. It's a 2002 release. So it's like real late in the game for VHS. Because um, I was thinking about 2002. Like I saw this on DivX and not the DivX that was like the rental thing from uh, um, Circuit City. But it was like it was like a video encoding that uh, was like worse quality, like slightly worse quality than like DVD. My buddy yeah. used to like acquire these things, and we, we were watching movie after movie after movie. So the first time right. I saw this was just like in a slew of like a chain of movies, and I remember seeing it, and I was like, "Watch!" It's like this is the first time I'm going to watch it since like 2002. Um, so yeah, I was like excited to see it again. But my only takeaway, and it was faulty memory, was. I just vividly remember the CGI mm-hmm. and the use of CGI. Mm-hmm. Um, and for some reason, the flashlight scene where they're mm-hmm. trying to get somebody's attention. The out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I had remembered it as a gun and them like showing like showing you the inside of it, which turned out to be the inside of the flashlight. Oh, and that was the thing that yeah. always stuck with me. I was like, why did we have to like see inside uh, this computer generated like flashlight? Right. Right. But uh, that I can kind of get into that when we talk about like the visuals, because you were kind of mm-hmm. uh, hinting at um, yeah. maybe a little bit overdone at times. Yes. Uh, although there are like, like I said, uh, some things I did appreciate. There were um, some really interesting things that they were doing with uh, some of the camera choreography, I guess. But once it dipped into that, like that one really long shot that goes across the entire bottom floor and like through the kettle and through mm-hmm. the chair and like that part completely took me out of it. And we have a 12 inch CRT uh, VCR combo. That's what we watch all our, that's what we watch anything that's not streaming. We watch it on that TV and uh, yeah, we could be having more like cinematic movie going experience, but the upside of this setup is that bad CGI looks pretty good. It yeah. did not, and it did not look that great yeah. on our tiny little CRT. Mm. Um, but really, that's like that's one of the couple of shots that I thought they went too far with. 
um, when they're going like super zoomed in, when um, I think when they're like banging on a wall or on on the ceiling, and then you see like the the crumbs and the dust shake oh, off. Yeah. That that was interesting, but I was also waiting for something for that to be a little bit more meaningful. Yeah, I was kind of confused by that because I was like, when they when they sh- do the close up and they show like these particles of like cement or, or uh, mortar or whatever falling mm. on this this wall, right? Then they're like, oh, there's somebody on the other side of the wall. Like we need to like like right, let them know we're right. here. And I was like, how how did these like little uh, these dust particles or whatever like that comment that, that caught me off guard um, yeah. when they're like neighbors and I'm just like huh and I had the <laughs> exact same reaction uh, whenever it was we watched it the last time where I was just like how did they get to like how did we get to that yeah yeah how, um, does, how does that mean that yeah but I I really did like when we were using CGI to go from one room to another and we were just uh, seeing. Uh, the in-between space between the drywall and the steel. Um, uh, it kind of reminded me of the way cameras would move from scene to scene in like a multi-camera sitcom. Yeah. Like they would just kind of go th- through the wall. And yeah, I, I, I thought that was great. Like I appreciated seeing um, in detail all the little layers of the building that we don't normally see. Yeah, sure. In the second watch, I was trying to figure out if I could get a better sense of where everything is. Because it's it's this huge brownstone in New York. It's got three floors. And they do they spend so much time showing you where everything is, I still had no idea where everything was. Oh yeah. Like um the different floors, there was nothing really unique or special or nothing that they established to help or that brought back in to remind me this is the second floor or this is the third floor yeah that was a little disorienting i i really had almost no idea when unless they were in the actual like the titular panic room Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. i I agree i think like they took so much time or so much yeah so much time to show you around the house Mm -hmm. but yeah there were scenes everything was was dark everything's the same color when she was running to to grab uh, her daughter and like bring her into the panic room mm-hmm. like I really didn't know like how big of a risk are you taking like how far are you going right, um, right because I still didn't really have a good sense of the whole house which by the way that was a set that entire uh, building was built inside of a studio that's cool. all those oh, floors wow. that's cool yeah apparently the production went on so long that like um, all the constant rain that they were creating on the outside like started to like uh, stagnate and everything and like it was do they just, need to? Oh, wow. <laughs> they need yeah, to I was like, that? I was like, I was astounded to actually find rain, out that they did. I that. thought some of the rain was CGI. Uh, apparently it, not. Okay. Huh? Like the what an odd decision. Early on in the movie, uh, <laughs> Jodie Foster's looking up into her skylight, and so we can see just like the this pummeling downpour. Mm. I thought it was CGI. Um. Interesting. Uh, so what I learned, and I really highly recommend the Blank Chat podcast. Um, if you like three-hour podcasts, I do. <laughs> um, Does it have an intermission? Sadly, no. Oh. <laughs> but, I mean, you can just pause. And it's a podcast. You can just pause it. Um, what I learned from them is that the Nicole Kidman was originally cast as the, the lead of this movie. I believe... Right before or right after film, they they started filming. She broke her leg, 
And so they had to completely replace her with Jodie Foster. And there's like a pretty uh, drastic or dramatic height discrepancy. Um, And so they actually didn't re-choreograph any of the camera work. They just put her on like a box in certain scenes. Um, But then Jodie Foster got pregnant halfway through. And I I believe it's like started the scene where she has to go talk to the cops and throws a sweater on and she has a sweater for the rest of the movie. Oh, my gosh. It's because she's showing. So Mm. like uh, things like that are probably the reasons it took a lot longer than it anticipated. I don't for a movie that takes place in one location. I it probably wouldn't have. Yeah. Yeah, That's a great stage play. What? Panic Room. It would. (laughs) (laughs) It would actually make a pretty good play. Talk a little bit about these trailers. The like fifteen the trailers. Bounty trailers. <laughs> Bounty. Right, well, this yeah, this makes up for all of the tapes that we've watched recently. Like, it's been like one tape per episode that have had trailers on average. It seems. Yeah. So this uh, again, this is also the spoilers only tape with trailers. So. I'm uh, not going to complain that we were just like, and more, and more, <laughs> and more. And they were all like early 2000s gems. Yeah. yeah they were good. Okay, were so good. Uh, we uh, could dip into the distribution <laughs> tangent because our tape is from Hollywood Video. Yours is from Blockbuster. Yeah. And Previously it seems viewed. like we had <laughs> all of the same trailers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it starts with Trapped. Oh, I've had this problem before where there were either too many trailers or the movie was so unremarkable. This one was definitely looked interesting at, at the I put it, strange because it looks like a relic of its time. Like Courtney Love is a lead. Courtney Love? Courtney Love. Courtney Love is, is a lead character in this. I can't every, every almost every t- single time someone says Courtney Love in relation to her acting, I think of Courtney Cox. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Okay, so the the only quote the narr one of the narration just said like she refused to be the perfect victim. Uh, I I thought that would have been a better mo- title, the perfect victim. Hmm. Uh, yes, it's a movie that stars Charlize Theron, some other guy, Kevin, Kevin Bacon. Bacon, Courtney Love. Hmm. Uh, it. Oh, and Dakota Fanning. Uh, so much so, I thought this was maybe Man on Fire, but no, that was mm-hmm. with Denzel Washington, the one where he puts the bomb up a guy's butt. I'll take your word on that. <laughs> that was, like, when, when that movie came out, that's all anyone wanted to talk about. Okay, nice. The bomb in the guy's butt. <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, followed by, uh, ooh, Ots, rel- like, this is such an Ots movie, Vin mm. Diesel's Triple X. Oh, yeah. XXX. That definitely yeah. puts yep. this in time. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> uh, this trailer has uh, some of the worst music I've heard in my life. Uh, not worse than the music from the Mod Squad trailer. And I was also going to say not worse than the music for Soul Assassin. No, that's the... Well, uh, I'd have to listen to those again. Uh, I'm going to say... Soul so. Assassin. That's the one with the Johnny Depp lookalike. That's the one with Skeet Ulrich. Skeet Ulrich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's it's pretty bad. Yeah, <laughs> the the music. I mean, like, okay, we'll I, get there. We'll get there. I will we'll get honestly there. say it's the worst I've heard so far. Yeah. Uh, Triple X was uh like the producers of the Fast and the Furious, and it 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 could just be an in universe starring Vin Diesel's like twin. Um, lots of fast cars, lots of big stunts. 
Uh, Vin Diesel is uh, kind of like the Catch Me If You Can scenario, where he's a criminal who gets recruited by the government to stop crimes? Mm. Question mark. Mm. It sounds like a good heckle movie, if anything. I've never actually seen it. I've never so, seen it. Yeah. I saw of it. If you that makes you any saw sense. more. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was aware it was around. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, and it was always like I just I remember like the triple X logo yes. is mm. very much that whatever that font was that was popular at the time. Right, right. Um, but uh, never actually watched it. This yeah. this always reminds me of this one uh, a trip I went on in in high school with some other students and a couple of teacher chaperones. Um, at the end of the night, we're, we're just, uh, watching whatever was on the hotel TV and triple X was one of them. And so a bunch of, uh, the other students went to go watch it and the teacher asked like, what are you watching? It's like triple X. And Uh-oh. the next morning he, he thought they were watching the porn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice, <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> I wish I could remember the name of the act because the way, um, uh, Mr. Benoit Benoit. <laughs> Benoit. <laughs> um, uh, he he just had such a wonderful flair about him, and when I remember, like I, I almost can never forget the inflection. I forgot the name of the actor that he was talking about. He was just like, "What would they be doing watching a movie with her in it?" <laughs> and, mm. okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I I'll go look wrote that one off uh, <laughs> when it came out. I was just like, "It yeah. looks like a tap out shirt." I'm I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> um. So followed. Following that is something that I really, really hate in the movie going experience, which is I'm about to watch a movie starring Jodie Foster, and here's another trailer featuring <laughs> Jodie Foster. Mm-hmm. Uh, strange, strange. Dangerous Lives of Alter Boys. The dangerous Lives of Alter Boys. Yeah, this one threw me. I had to, I had to text my buddy and like, have you seen this movie? And he's like. I think I remember it. I don't know if I watched it, but I was like, how did, I felt like this one, how did this one escape me? Yeah, like, I, I want to see it. I I, well, see it. it it kind of, like, it starts off with the same kind, like, if Dazed and Confused was a serious teen drama, and then halfway through the trailer, comic book panels start flashing on the screen. It's, and I have, I have no idea what this movie is about besides a, a teenage love story at a Catholic school. Yeah. Vincent D'Onofrio plays a priest and Jodie Foster is a nun. I'd, I, if you just told me that, I'd be like, let's watch it. Yeah. Like, well, we let's got, watch it. We got a Culkin in there too. Oh yeah, we, we got, got a Culkin. Oh, that's right. Yeah. The pre-Igby goes down. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kieran's still pretty young. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so you had all... Yeah, it seems like it. The next one is... Oh, wait, do you have Enigma a, before? Oh, no, you no. have Soul Assassin. Okay. Well, we, they had a Todd McF- uh, McFarlane animation spot. That was the Dangerous Lives of Walter yes. Boys. Oh, that, okay, yeah. never mind. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, following that is my boy Skeet is starring in a blue movie called Soul Assassin. <laughs> it's very blue. <laughs> that's, that's Yeah, and it's got some of the worst, worst music I've... I've ever heard in, in a preview. It's pretty dang bad. It's bad. Um, oh, I so this movie reminds me of, or at least what I'm imagining this movie is about, based on what the trailer is trying to sell me is like it's 
it's kind of like the crow, but not cool. Okay. Yeah, I would agree with that. This guy is <laughs> the pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> the flying tr- garbage can. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what it seemed like. Uh, some some dude is uh, in love with the girl. She gets murdered by some shadow group. And he goes on a revenge spree and tries to figure out why they killed her. I, I, I don't know anything more than that. Yeah. Yeah, the the next one after this looks pretty cool, though. Oh, I, I don't remember anything about Enigma. Can't All I was with... thinking was like, oh. Oh, that's the only one I genuinely, no jokes, let's watch this. Yeah. This looks okay. really good. Well, it was the, I was like, isn't this the imitation game? Like, the, ver- like the version like the version this is like the <laughs> this is like the no uh, cumberbatch the A&E version, version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was like i didn't realize they already did a movie on the on that's the, hollywood uh, <laughs> and i don't know if this one actually gets into him like creating this big computer or whatever but oh, isn't the imitation game about alan turing wait am i getting confused oh so yeah maybe i'm i'm just confused because i was thinking of is it, it just it, reminded me of um imitation game is it the one where that's he creates that's that the, computer, yes. but isn't that computer to help crack the enigma? Or am I am I misremembering that? I I don't know, and I always get my like uh, war computers mixed up between like <laughs> Enigma, yeah. ENIAC, and yeah, yeah. like all of those. So like, yeah, uh, I, I'm not reliable in this way, but I have brought up just a little bit of the plot. So it looks like uh, during the Heart of World War II, in March of 1943, crypto analysts at Britain's code-breaking center have discovered, to their horror, that Nazi U-boats have changed their Enigma code. So, there's kind of the first line. Kind of just like code break, general code breakers of the Yes, and I always always forget which which ones necessitated which computer. Uh, But yeah, it sounds like it's uh, in the realm of what you're talking about, though. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, but yeah, this one looked really, really good. Um, and for a second, I thought that was Sean Bean that I was seeing here. It's not, but yeah. Sean Bond? Sean Bond. <laughs> Seen Bean. Okay. Uh, following Enigma is one of the most disappointing moments in my life. Men in Black 2. Oh. The f- franchise, I don't know. I want to say it's a franchise I love, but it isn't. Because the first Men in Black is one of my favorite movies almost ever. Definitely in my top 10, but I'll never have time to rank movies. Uh, the third one, I I did enjoy. I, I don't know that I've met more than like one other person who thought it was more than decent. Hmm. But I thought it was watchable. I thought the, I mean, it was it needed? No, we did not need a third one. We did not need a second one. Uh, but I like the third one. And Men in Black International, the X one, the one that we saw with Wally. Yes. That that's was... that's maybe the most disappointing Oof. moment of my like later adulthood. When did this one come out? 2018 18, or 19? 19? Oh. Something like that. Yeah, yeah I totally missed that. Is it kind of like, is it kind of so fine? Oh, it's good? No. No. <laughs> No, no. Oh, good that kinda, you missed it. Is it kind of like, um, like the newer Matrix sequel? 
No, I actually didn't mind it. Did, oh, we didn't need it. Yeah, we didn't need it. That's better. That's better. Okay, okay. Yeah. All right. No, the Men in Black X was is unwatchable. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't good. Okay. Following that is Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, second best Spider-Man movie. What was what's the first best? Spider-Man 2. Okay, okay. That's fair. With Doc Ock. Okay. Enough. Oh, Jennifer Lopez one? Yeah, and yep. the way I wrote this down, it just looks like I was saying enough Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> <laughs> enough J-Lo. Oh, man. But, uh, yeah. Uh, you, yeah. Probably, you probably would have felt that back in the mid-2000s. I, yeah, yeah definitely, <laughs> definitely. When the, when the trailer started and we just saw a bunch of clips of her, like I, I tried to predict what movie it was and I, I, I couldn't. I was like, is this Angel Eyes? Is this... Jersey Made girl. in Manhattan. She's not in Jersey Girl. She's not? No. Oh, okay. All right. Hold up. Oh, I'm thinking of The Wedding Planner. Is that what I'm thinking of? Yes. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Came out around the same time. Right there. You had your finger on it. Wait. Oh, here. Yeah, no. It's, yeah. Um... Oh, I'm thinking. Ben Affleck. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> no, you're thinking of Liz. There's the there's the uh, neuron that wired together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's Ben Affleck that's, yeah. Yeah. I actually came at this movie from a different angle, which was, oh, that's the name of the movie that I saw like 15 to 20 minutes of because it was playing on TV at my mom's house. Oh. <laughs> I was like, what is this movie? And it's got like Jennifer <laughs> Lopez. And I'm like, what? And she's like set up this trap for this guy at his house. She home alone her house against <laughs> no, her ex-husband? No, she, yeah, she, uh, I forgot exactly what the intricacies of the plot were, but um, I saw like probably 15 minutes of this the you know the end scene and I was like and then so when I saw this trailer I was like oh that's what it was movie. called <laughs> that, that we did see little clips of her like uh like getting yoked and uh crayon battle plan yeah <laughs> <laughs> and it was, when I when we were watching that part I was like oh this looks this looks kind of fun like I yeah I definitely look up the ending to enough to see I mean I'm sure people on the other I side of the video trap. they're basically like this is a classic J-Lo movie I can't believe you <laughs> haven't seen this you know what <laughs> for them I'll say this The Cell like I we'll, love we'll, The Cell we'll give J-Lo some credit yeah Cell's a great movie and I think her performance Listen, in it is pretty decent I get excited over Vincent D'Onofrio I do yeah the last two were gold like I, I was so excited. Oh, right. Yeah, because we got into the we got into the now on home video segment yeah, of the trailers. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Resident Evil still available on home video. Yeah. Yeah. The original. And it, it was, you know, that I just look back on that movie with so much fondness. Because at the time I actually didn't I was pretty disappointed by it because it wasn't anything like the, the video game that you love. And I was a huge fan. Mm. But going back to it and watching I'm, yeah it's just it's just a super fun movie like i think it was a simpler time for a movie that honestly like if you took the games as any um like any starting point those games would just be hard to make into a movie that's worth watching and so they that's managed, most video games though. yeah they managed to find a story to tell that i think was you know a decent enough story to put into a movie and closing that out is Dogtown and the Z Boys. Oh. <laughs> my favorite documentaries. My favorite documentaries. I haven't seen it. I've um, only seen Lords of Dogtown. 
Oh yeah, this this is a great one. Um, it's what turned me on to uh, the early history of skating and um, my, skateboarding. Uh, yes, uh, skateboarding. Well, you know, that's not the not my kind of skating. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but well, yes and a no because actually, what, oh no, what you, you could you what could you learn in that documentary is that um, a lot of the skateboarding uh, like started as people taking the wheels off their roller skates mm-hmm. and putting it onto a piece of ply- plywood. So, um, so hey, there's a there's an intersection. Or, there. or wait, or I like thought it a, happened in 1955 yeah, in front Marty, of the clock tower. Marty, like, yeah, yeah, that's it. Someone took a razor scooter. <laughs> that's actually yeah, so, sorry, <laughs> sorry, my my historiography is all jacked up. Um, if you haven't seen that documentary, like, go seek it out because it, it really is a fun fun one my one word description of this movie would be i'd say it's tense it's a really good uh tense thriller um maybe not this watch but uh when we watched it a few months ago uh we were both like pretty gripped the whole time yeah when we weren't feeling like the length of it in certain places like every little thing that she needs to do there's a lot of tension that is like really expertly like built up captured and then like released throughout the entire movie i don't okay. think we get very many uh chill scenes like right. at all right and dwight yoakam plays like a <laughs> creep so well in this movie oh my gosh. like like raul's character is just like Oh my gosh! You mean time. Zorro or Joe Pesci, as he's referred to? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it's like... yeah. <laughs> yeah, I keep going back and forth whether or not I think he's creepier with or without the mask. Oh, without easily. Yeah, I would agree though. Like th- this is the first time I watched it since it came out, um, and I still found it to be like really engaging you're sucked in it's very suspenseful tense like um you know when she's trying to get her phone and of course she kicks it further across mm. the bed or whatever like, it's happened to all of us yeah exactly <laughs> it's all that stuff it was really well done yeah. when i first saw it i was like totally taken aback by the um uh cgi mm. and then this time i was like no i'm actually now that CGI is way more commonplace, um, I'm more okay with it in terms of like moving through walls and stuff like that. I just think that, and my one word for this movie is like uh, indulgent. Like I mm-hmm. felt like mm-hmm. I felt like it was somebody who got a new set of tools and yeah. wanted to like let's just sure. go hog wild in this film, right? And this is after Fight Club, right? So I yeah, feel this like is the next movie. After I Fight feel Club. like he's capitalizing on a little bit of like what yep. people thought was really cool about yep. Fight Club. A lot of those CGI moments. Yeah. Um, it's just interesting choice for this film and like what it is to have so much CGI. Yeah. And that's where it just kind of felt like maybe he was just indulging himself a little mm-hmm. bit. But um, no, I, I really, I'm actually like probably going to add it to my library on like uh, Blu-ray or something like that because um, I, I did enjoy it. I actually really like the sound. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. We uh, hooked up some surround speakers to our VCR, so like, because like old <laughs> tapes, if they say Dolby Stereo on it or Dolby Surround, they're actually in like this antique uh, surround sound, and it was kind of fun because like when he clears that they throw stuff off of the uh, kitchen island. Oh, I heard a tin right. can like Whoa. fall behind me, and it was and and uh, at the end scene where they're 
coming up the stairs, uh, there's like the house is moaning mm. and it's coming from all around you. And oh, it's like uh, the Foley work on this movie was really good. Yeah. Um, Simon actually clocked that one uh, even before I did, just talking about how well the um, reverb matched the environments yeah. each time you're in a different part of the oh, house. When you're right. in the panic room, it sounds like you're in a little yeah. claustrophobic space. Yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. thought the like the the transition between like the one room to the other when we are doing those pans across and through the walls, it's like the room tone changes and it's palpable. So would you rewind this one? Mm-hmm. All yeah. right. Yeah. We did cool. rewind. Cool, cool. Our next tape is 1993's A Perfect World, uh, directed by Clint Eastwood, starring Kevin Costner, Lord Dern, Bradley Whitford, uh, who was kind of a chameleon in this, um, and uh, it's a little boy. I, I really didn't know what to think of. Uh, I don't, haven't really watched many Clint Eastwood movies. Hmm. What I did think of was how much I didn't really want to watch another Kevin Costner movie. And, you know, he's a fine <laughs> actor. We did recently watch Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Yeah. And when we first uh, got this collection, there was this transitional period where there were maybe about like 200 tapes in our apartment just sitting while we were sorting out where we were going to keep these tapes. And uh, what was it? The Postman was one of those tapes. And so I was just like picking through the bags that we had and watching movies. And I thought like, oh, why not? Let's put in The Postman. I didn't know how long it was. I was upset. (laughs) Um, I I also didn't really realize because I never bothered to look into it that The Postman was a movie set in the future and not in the past. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Either way, I can go on. this movie is—it was actually really good. I really, really liked it. I know that uh, the characters were tough for you to watch. This this movie challenged me for yeah. sure. This movie challenged me for sure. Yeah. Um. And even just like the the box art here is just kind of really confusing. Like the the actual title, like lockup of. I guess like the movie logo, A Perfect World, looks like it could just say A Problem Child, mm-hmm. the way this is kind of designed. So that was one thing that really threw me off, especially here, like where it says A Perfect World. Like that just looks like this is supposed to be a, a kid's movie. And it was mm-hmm. it was not at all. Or, it was, or a musical. I mean, it does involve a kid. <laughs> yeah. There is a right. child in it. Right. Uh, but this is not, I don't think at all for it. This is a movie that kids could watch, I think. No, I, I watched. I watched. <laughs> I, worse I would not movie show this. this to a kid. I would not show this to a kid. Um, I, I'll disagree there. I'd but let a kid watch it. What I will say is interesting about this uh, title, though, is you can see that um, they've inserted uh, he the shorts. The, he's wearing shorts. Yeah, I was so. I, I was mm. looking for this in the actual movie, and he never mm. actually wears the shorts. Wonder if they use some uh, old fashioned photo trickery or. Maybe even some early CGI to put shorts on them, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My guess is they probably just took the took the photo like either on set yeah. or like during a rehearsal or something because I wouldn't like, discount that this is Photoshop trickery. Like this is really easy to do. Oh sure. Okay. Yeah. 
Y'all but, would know better than I would. But in the movie, this kid is, uh, or at least like the first part of this movie, he's in his uh, a shirt and some underwear because he gets kidnapped. Uh, and then the rest of the movie, he's in a Casper costume. Anyways, shall we? Okay, so the uh, front of the box says, Amazing and Unforgettable. One of the best American film in years. Says... Dennis Cunningham of CBS TV. Good old Dennis Cunningham. All right. Friend of yours? All right. No, I have no idea who he is. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently he's a paid review. <laughs> I mean, his his name is pretty big compared to some of the other reviews that we've done. Like, it's, it's yeah, legible. It's legible. <laughs> yeah. There's a name attached to was it, it right? CBS, CBS TV. He was, probably, right. he was probably hot shit at CBS. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not the movie network. The Kids Network. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Kid right. Network. Yeah, the Kids Network. Movie Commission. Like. <laughs> Oop. Whoa. Nice save. No. Clumsy, though. And on the back, we have Four Stars, a movie that will endure, says Dave Kerr of the New York Daily News. I agree that I'd give this four stars. I don't agree that this has endured. Yeah, actually, I, I read that comment, too, um, and I was just like, no, it, it doesn't. But it's part of why I picked the movie, because it's one of those movies, like, you're watching it, you're like, this is a good movie. Mm-hmm. And then, like, when you're not watching it, you forget about it. Sure. Yeah. Uh, it kind of, it kind of just, kind of, it's, it's like with a lot of Clint Eastwood movies. It's like, I feel like they're good, but they never like go into this like the stratosphere. Like they never, sure. they never become like huge movies that are. I mean, there's, there's probably a couple you could argue, but like, I feel like he's done so many films with his company. Uh, they're all like entertaining to watch in the moment, but then like after you're done watching it, it kind of fades from memory. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, but, this movie, it has a climax. It just doesn't feel like one because, like, yeah. it the movie sort of gets just kind of goes really high and then just kind of stays up here. Mm-hmm. So, no thought. We're just going to go into the <laughs> the log line. Double Academy Award winners Kevin Costner and Clint Eastwood confront each other from opposite sides of the law. In a perfect world, an acclaimed multi-layered manhunt saga directed by Eastwood that rumbles down Texas back roads tore a harrowing collision with fate. Costner plays Butch Haynes, a hardened prison escapee, on the lamb with the young hostage T.J. Lothar in a remarkable film debut, who sees in Butch the father figure he never had. Eastwood is wily Texas Ranger Red Garrett, leading deputies and criminologist Laura Dern in a statewide pursuit. Red knows every road and pothole in the panhandle. What's more, he knows the elusive Haynes because their paths have crossed before. They did? Mm-hmm. I missed that. Yeah, yeah. Completely missed yeah. that. It was where she, uh, she was talking about, uh, I guess he... Or he influenced the judge to send him up uh, uh, for whatever he that crime put he committed. Him four years. Yeah, put him yeah. in uh, juvie or whatever. Right. Or, right. Um, oh, it's, he influenced that judge because it's. He's about the reason he, he yeah, turned yeah. into a better criminal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I missed that. Yeah. Um. All right. Yeah. 
not not a bad log line, but there's also uh, nothing in here that like if I was at the video store would make me want to. There's just a lot of things. It's not a genre I particularly gravitate towards very often. Uh, like I said before, uh, I'm kind of weary of Kevin Costner movies by this point. Uh, same with Clint Eastwood. Like unless it's an older western, I have a really hard time getting excited about long dramas that are going to put me in a certain kind of mood for a few hours. I feel like the yeah. like hearing the logline and, and watching this movie a ton. Um, it's like. It's telling me the situation, mm-hmm. but it doesn't really tell me anything about why I'd want to watch this movie. Yeah. It I, tells me what's going on, but like when I think about the movie and I want to explain it to others, like I don't describe any of that stuff. Right. And I think, you know, like when I say this movie challenged me, I think probably my, um, the, the ways that it challenged me and the, the sort of my, my biggest point of contention with how this movie is still talked about from every thing I've seen is that um, they describe what happens as like this unlikely friendship and not like, nah, this kid got trauma bonded to like an actual criminal. Like that's what happened. It's not a friendship. (laughs) Yeah. And I I think it's actually, um, I feel like every character in this is like complicated. Nobody's black and white. Yeah. I think Laura Dern's character probably comes out like the closest to being like, like a, a kind of a, a hero with no complications. Yeah, but like, well, like the, what we get from her in the beginning is kind of what we're left with at the end. It's like we, um, I don't think she really has an arc besides going through this experience. I mean, this is her first case as a. She's the criminologist yeah. assigned mm-hmm. by the governor, and you know, no one in the boys' club wants to work with her. But they have no choice. And I don't really see her as coming out of it as a different person. She's just uh, the same kind of headstrong and determined and intelligent person yeah. she was going into the movie. But at yeah, the same point, she, like I guess the only thing you could say is that she convinced everybody in the room that she knew what she was doing. But like, it, it's a very good example of like, literally not being respected for your intelligence and like what you bring Mm -hmm. to the table uh because of you're the rookie but also you're a woman like and she has to overcome all that which is a pretty um i think standard thing i think it's very representational of that time period for Mm -hmm. sure Mm -hmm. uh which is where i had like on this watching just like clint eastwood's character like usually he likes to play i feel like characters that um uh righteous characters or whatever and i felt like this guy was like very accurate for what a texas ranger in that Mm -hmm. time period would have been and like um so i feel like played the part very accurately but like Mm -hmm. in no way do i look at his character and be like oh i admire him or anything like that right um but i actually like your take on like the the trauma bonding for sure right yeah Uh, but i also this movie to me is like about um like the father-son relationship and oh, it's, yeah. it, he needs a father because he doesn't have one. Mm. So he he latches on to um, Kevin Costner's character, but he also is seeking his father. Like he's trying mm-hmm. to get back in touch with his father mm-hmm. and he's suffering from not having a father and he's trying to be that for the kid. 
Um, and in the end, he actually gets upset because he sees another father mistreating mm-hmm. his boy, right? But this movie is so, ch- uh, so much about the like paternal relationship. When they say, describe him as a hardened criminal, I, I don't know. I kind of disagree with that because they position him as somebody who was kind-hearted, was good, but was put in situations that kind of um, led to him being a criminal. Mm-hmm. And the other criminal that they escape with, he's more of like, you know, just the guy's a son career of the bitch. criminal. Yeah, my one of my favorite moments yeah. in this is uh, that exchange where they're in the car, and he's in the back seat, and he says, "If you ever do that again, I'll kill you." Yeah. and he's like, "Sounds like that's a threat." Is yeah, a threat? yeah, yeah. And he's like, "It's like no, that's a fact." And he's like. I'm going to punch you in the nose in two seconds. And then he punches him in the nose. And he's, that's a threat. And then he punches him in the nose and he's like, and that's, that's a, fact. a fact. And then he just keeps going with it. And it's so good. Um, right, well, what I, I think what um, like really early on in the movie kind of positioned Butch as a, a character with at least like a moral compass that we do see throughout the movie. And we do even see just like kind of builds on a little bit is Mm -hmm. the choice of we're taking the kid and not the the woman because he like knew like even just like like how that home invasion escalated was because uh the other guy that he escaped with uh you know he's a loose cannon and he's a he pulled a raul (laughs) or raul pulled uh uh, that guy a terry Terry, uh like like in in a moment, in the moment that he had to decide, like, oh, we're taking this woman as our hostage, he was just like, that woman is probably going to die if not get, like, assaulted several times. And so he's like, no, we're just going to take the boy. We're not going to take this woman. Or at least that's how I interpreted it. Mm. And maybe that's just because I, I am the woman. When that part happened, I was just like, oh, gosh, this is terrible. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was relieved. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like... Part of why I feel like he, he chose the kid is like he that scene establishes him like building some rapport, but like he was more interested in hanging out with this kid longer than you know he cared about. Uh, I think the woman, you know, but like, yeah, um, yeah, I, I think um, it's it is interesting because I kind of wrote down like um, Kevin Costner is like he shows like kindness, but like his his criminality is like. I feel like those moments are like his decisiveness. Like he's very decisive. Like he kind of almost turns on a dime. He's like, okay, this needs to be done. Like mm-hmm. uh, with, you know, dispatching the other uh, uh, escapee. Yeah. You know, like he's just very matter of fact when it needed to happen. Right. Um, and that kind of plays into like how he is as a criminal. But he's also laid back. He's like laid back and he has moments of kindness. Laura Dern during some of her exposition is that he is in in incredibly intelligent person um Which more so more so than average more concerning <laughs> well me. i think that is that that is also translated to his social intelligence because he's i don't i didn't see him as a particularly violent person considering the life he's had and where he's been forced to be like he's been in prison since he was a teenager that's unfortunate and that'll ruin anyone's life mm-hmm. um so to have so to be able to build this relationship with uh, a boy and to have it be believable and like meaningful and in the end tragic i think speaks to 
he like if he never went to prison, if he wasn't a criminal, he would probably be a really good person by anyone's standards. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that I can believe. Yeah, I kind of view this as like for a moment in the middle of this film, they both have what they wanted. Like he has a father, he has a son that he can be the father that he wanted to have. Like for a, for a hot minute, they have like this father son relationship Mm -hmm. and a lot of the good things that come, like he's trying to like teach him the ways of the world and stuff like that. And it's just like, uh, that dynamic and it's bookended by like Mm -hmm. violence and death and Mm -hmm. all this stuff. And, and like, you know, this kid is like totally like, Ten, I'd like to see like the real life version of this kid like ten years later because you know this whole experience is bad. It's totally like, yeah. yeah, it's a bad thing. Yeah, it is. But yeah. like um, speaking to the kinds of lessons that he's uh, passing on to this kid, like most of them, or at least like the ones that I feel are actually important. You know, like the uh like talking about that other father as being a good person because he put his family safety over maybe his ego or his pride and um how uh just like how visceral he he reacts to violence against children mm-hmm. i th- i think that i would describe the kinds of lessons that he's passing on are good like even though he's teaching them some bad habits i i you know he is also a person who has been stunted probably um because he had to like he grew up in a a a dance hall Mm -hmm. so he he probably he's a kid he's a person who grew up without a childhood and i can criticize some of the the lack of impulse that he's passing on, but I'm not going to fault him for it. Yeah. Um, also, what can be more wholesome than hanging out with your father figure, making mustard sandwiches yeah. on the dashboard of your car, uh, car with like a, a gum wrapper as a knife. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and him going just like, this is the best mustard sandwich I've ever, like j- just like the, those little things like that to me. Um, also, he, he gets caught um, with the woman at the diner. Yeah. And then he, he just leaves and then he's in the car and he's trying to navigate that conversation of what happened. Right. And then he, he's trying, you can tell like he's, he's more embarrassed yeah, yeah. by it. Um, and, and I think it's because he does care about how this kid sees him. Like I, I really did buy into mm. him, like the relationship that both of them had and that it was reciprocal and that he like really meant everything that he said because other like why humor a child like that? Also, like how he explained it to, just like, do you love? Did you love her? Do you love her? And like, he's yep. like, kissed her butt, didn't I? Kissed her butt, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, didn't put a bomb in it. It's, it yeah, it's it. It's definitely, um, like I said, this one was challenging. I will say though, for everything that I've uh, criticized about this movie. I think it does stand as like a great movie and it is worth mentioning that um very well made in all this this was cahier du cinema's movie of the year for 1993 which um if for anybody who doesn't know cahier du cinema is uh one of the premier movie journals Hmm. so um yeah and that's awesome sorry my gesticulating wildly over here because i'm excited 
two, there's, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, there are two fun facts that I want to make sure we mentioned. Uh, so when they were going to the store where he gets the Casper costume, mm-hmm. when they're walk, when Kevin Costner's character, Butch is walking in mm-hmm. uh, on the side uh, walk or whatever, behind them on a building is a faded advertisement for like tobacco or something like that, but it's called Bull Durham. What? Which is the, another Kevin Costner movie. Yeah. And I'm like, this oh, can't be yeah. like a coincidence. Um, so I noticed that. That's and that's funny. hard to catch, catch in the VHS, by the way, because of the pain and scan. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. You only okay. get like the L and Durham. Oh, um, all right, all right. But the other piece was the amount of time in the past they were portraying from 1993 is exactly the amount of time it's been since then, since oh, yeah. that movie came out. Wow. So if we were to make this movie... Today, you could have it set in 1993. Yeah, set in 1993. That's funny. Because I was just watching. It's like, man, these classic cars are just smashing them together and stuff. Like, and they're they're. And I was like, oh well, back then they were only. It's like if we took a car Mm -hmm. from '93 and like trashed it, we wouldn't care. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah, you say that, but we have a like my car is a 2003. Yeah, I'm pretty sure my car is a 2003. Uh, a few months ago, one of the back windows was smashed. You have no idea how hard it is mm-hmm. to get mm-hmm. a replacement for a car that is, I guess, like twenty years old. Yeah, but you unless know, it's a Toyota Camry, then you can just go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if oh, we're, it's a rare car too. But remember, mm-hmm. Butch is a Ford guy, so we're talking oh. we're talking nineties <laughs> Fords. So don't want a Buick. Want a Ford. That was, that was another thing that just took me back to, like, so there are a lot of these things. This very, um, the background of this is very, like, Americana, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, and so much of it, because my, um, my parents are from uh, the middle of Kansas. Like, uh, you know, I have relatives who live in, um, in, you know, rural parts. And it's like, it was very, there was a lot of triggers for, like, oh, this reminds me of how, mm-hmm. you know, my father was with his brothers. So all these different things, right? So, yeah. um Definitely where he was talking about being a Ford guy or whatever. I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) Yes. And I love that they put this in the movie in so much, like, detail. Like, Yeah. You're a Ford or And then the best part is he's he's stealing a Ford and it won't start right away. Hey, that's my car. Start, son of a bitch. And I was like, oh, this piece of shit. (laughs) Uh, I do have a bone to pick with Kevin Costner. I don't know if this is anything to do with because he's in it. Uh, you know, Clint Eastwood directed this, but in all of the other Kevin Costner movies that I've seen, no trailers. Yeah. I actually went back to, like, double check and make sure I just didn't, like, fall asleep during the trailers, but <laughs> there weren't. Nope. Mm-mm. And I'm wondering if it's, uh, I can't remember how long the movie was. I wonder if it's the length of the movie. or 134 minutes. It wasn't, like, it's not that much over two hours that, like, you can certainly fit yeah. something. Yeah. Um. Uh, I remember when I watched the the Postman, there were no trailers, and that struck me as really weird at the time. Mm-hmm. Probably less so now because I've seen quite a few movies without trailers. But uh, when I first watched the Postman, not knowing that it was three hours, and then a few weeks later realizing, like, oh, that's probably why there were no trailers. Uh, Robin Hood did not have any trailers. Hmm. A Perfect World did not have any trailers. No. Hmm. Just so tired of all these perfect. A perfect world. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it would be interesting to find out what determines whether or not certain movies got trailers or not. I think think if I had to guess, it would be because it's a prestige drama directed by an Oscar-winning director. And 
since it came out earlier in the 90s, my guess would be that it is like trailers were cheap, like would cheapen the movie. Mm. One word description. One word description. I never prepare for these, so I don't feel like they're going to be... I got one locked and loaded. It's actually the only one that I've ever had locked and loaded. So. Go on. Go on. Hurt people hurt people. Okay. Is is my Your one phrase. summary for this, <laughs> phrase. This, this, uh, this movie. Okay. Yeah, my one word would be just uh, paternal. Mm. Okay, yeah. Um, something that was noodling in my head was just like fathers. Um, because one dynamic I hadn't really considered before because I missed it was uh, Clint Eastwood being responsible for Kevin Costner going to juvenile prison. And I think... Um, it probably weighs on him as some kind of like pater- like a, a failure of like some kind of paternal failure. Yeah, I can see that. Like at him, the very he's end, he's definitely ashamed of to... it because he doesn't cop to it. Yeah. 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 Well, and at the end, he tries to uh, kind of shield him from, you know, they want to shoot him. Yeah. And he tries to. Yeah. I feel like I can buy that. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And I think um, Clint Eastwood does a really good job of playing a very subtle shame. In, in that moment because there's the moment where Butch looks him in the eyes like do I know you like do I recognize you from somewhere and Clint nope. Eastwood's like nope <laughs> <laughs> so so definitely like uh, yeah I, I'm with you there all right so my my phrase would be uh failed fathers mm, okay yeah our next movie is 1935's 39 steps directed by Alfred Hitchcock it's an instructional video I yeah I I thought so. How to? This is such a a strange uh, copy of it too. It's a video film classics. Um, the The design of this box feels very cheap. First of all, it's in a clamshell. I don't know what exactly the strategy behind clamshells was. You know the uh, kids movies, video rental stores, and just like cheap productions of it. It's probably because you could really easily uh switch out the jackets so all you need is just like a printer versus whatever kind of production you need to go into like an actual paper box but you got this little illustration down here which i find very funny and okay just like no nitpicks here just broad general this is okay yeah and it's only 79 minutes which it feels a little long this is still i still think of this as like a an interesting at times fun movie, but it feels longer than 89, 79 minutes. An innocent man is plunged into a world of deception, intrigue, and chaos, and classic entertainment as the result. Richard Hanney is sitting in a London music hall when a man is killed. A young woman confesses the murder to him. What? Mm-hmm. That's not what happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. fired, I thought she fires a gun into the air. Oh. Who does she kill? Just this little guy. I fired those trucks. This is after him. Or after her, rather. Mm, okay. Yeah. A young woman confesses the murder to him and begs him for sanctuary. She explains that she is playing a lonely game of counter-espionage against foreign spies who have stolen a valuable military secret and are preparing to take it out of the country. Then the enigmatic lady is murdered leaving Hannay 
with the meager information that his own life is in danger and that he will learn the secret of the 39 steps in a certain Scottish hamlet. Hene's predicament is fantastic. He's pursued by the police and by the spies. There's a subtle feeling of menace on the screen at all times, yet there's a delightful humor interwoven with the intrigue. Okay. Alfred Hitchcock's mastery of shock and suspense combines with his slyly incongruous wit to make this a movie to be enjoyed again and again. I like the word, uh, the use of the word meager. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the thing that I pointed out uh, last night is uh, on the theme of a lot of our episodes have a lot of like echoing or rhyming um aspects or qualities uh and so we got two movies here about manhunts mm-hmm. I, I i really did not get <laughs> <laughs> i just they like they never she just says i fired the gun she doesn't say i killed the it's, man it's also really hard to make out like Again, this is, I think, where, you okay. know, it's worth talking a little bit about the audio and the the visual on, on both of the copies because... Yeah, I think the slog um, line captured the movie pretty well. Um, yeah, I'm going to chalk it up to 1935, but uh, the foley on this film in certain spots, like the baby crying in the audience, yeah. it was like, where is this coming from? It sounds right. so weird. <laughs> um, but it was also some of the charm, like when she's explaining to him, uh, or actually when she's dead already and he remembers her saying stuff to him yeah and, and just the like her silhouette this partially like translucent or whatever and like the sound of her voice yeah it's just so eerie and kind of creepy and like totally love it and some of those things don't come through in this transfer oh uh so in our in our last episode we talked i i mentioned that we had recently watched our other copy of 39 steps and you picked this because you wanted to watch a different version yeah. and and for other timing reasons yeah. but we got to watch like another tape that we had we're a little excited that we were gonna our other tape is in really rough shape there's a lot of static and the static is uh really noisy um it's pretty intermittent tracking issues yeah and it, it's really distracting throughout the entire movie this had better sound better audio Worse video. Way mm. worse video. The yeah. transfer is so blown out or not exposed enough. It's like someone was trying to dial in the settings mm. as the scene and the lighting changed and then left it on for, you know, several scenes past. So uh, there's that one scene in, well, we can talk about the scene where we have like the woman's face transposed over mm-hmm. that dark area. We also see her face transposed over a map. A map, yeah. Um, the map that has uh, a town called Killen. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. And the what's different about it is like the first time we see that happening is like an entire like two thirds of the screen is pitch black. So when you superimpose this woman talking, you see her like somewhat like really clearly and it's really spooky. The second time we do this, the map is white and we're still like superimposing her features over it using the same techniques. And this is so blown out, you don't see her face at all. Oh, wow. You just kind of, yeah. you see some some stuff moving in the middle Ooh. of the map. Um, and another scene that was, uh, like, really, really painful to watch was the scene you really liked. Oh, yes. Where they're all in the car, 
um, there are like four people are in a car and it's kind of dark and you can see what's happening inside the car. You can see what's happening outside the car. And on this tape, it's so dark. You can only see like the woman's head. So it looks like her head is floating. You can't see the background. You can't see the other actors. It's this is, this is weird. This is a really weird watch. Yeah. Um, the actress who played Pamela uh, in this movie, the first time we watched it, I remember being just fascinated by her. She has these like collars with like these boat. It's almost like a oh, bow yeah. tie that comes out to here. And I'm not being hyperbolic. It, it was reminded amazing. me of my ge- geography teacher. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I kind of forgot about it. But the first time we watched it, I was just like, oh, my God, I love like, like bring this back. We need to bring this <laughs> yeah, back. Yeah. This is so fun. Uh, and halfway through the movie, you're like, in in this the movie with the collars, and I'm like, what collars? You could yeah. you couldn't see the collars because mm. it was so fucking blown out. Um, so this was much harder to watch, um, in the same way that Nightbreed was hard to watch, where there was nothing there to hold my attention, so I just kind of kept wandering off and not not at all paying attention. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's yeah, fair. it is really interesting with a lot of these old movies, like. Um, you know what transfer they were or what source material they were able to get yeah. when they mastered it and all these different companies and and then like things like metropolis like there were huge sections of that movie that were mm. thought to be completely gone totally and in, re- in like the last decade or maybe 15 years were unearthed yes and so yeah. we we get to see more of the movie than you ever would have got to see on home video in right. 80s but like um you know just what is like um 39th uh, or the 39 steps is on Tubi right now for free but okay. it's also on the Criterion channel okay yeah uh, so, and wait, i found out huh that's the one you have right yeah we have the Criterion DVD yeah the um uh when Criterion got a hold of it they didn't get their hands on a new master so they were working with the master of like um the previous blu-ray or whatever mm. the same source they were but their mastering of the blu-ray is where they kind of put in their expertise. But oh, you're still getting yeah. a lot of the same uh, as what you got with previous releases, but it got improved just through, like, higher bit rate, stuff like that, right? Right, right. So th- there's all those things that are kind of, like, in the mix with all of these different copies of VHS, DVD. Yeah. Like, there's this guy uh, I follow on YouTube. I forget his name, but, like, he was just going on and on about, like, the only way to, to hear, like, the original audio soundtrack for citizen kane is like with the 19 like 93 right like, right uh, turner classic movies yes. release yeah yeah uh, everything else has been horribly like noise redu- you know noise we reduction stuff like that yeah, yeah. um but uh it, it just kind of goes to show you like how much these things can change and uh, totally be a different viewing experience totally and what one thing i will say so um this didn't have any trailers on it, but uh, yeah, the, the opening bumpers are killer. Oh, man. <laughs> They're great. Yeah, we've, we've um, gone on about, we've watched two tapes so far distributed by installed. Nostalgia Factory. Nostalgia Merchant. Merchant. Nostalgia yeah. Merchant. And those bumpers are incredible. This one is better. This was actually my favorite. And it's um, Carts. Carts Video Communication. Yeah. It was so good. Yeah. And it kind of just like kept going. 
Like usually when, uh, you know, like New Line or Orion or Canon, like you just, it, it comes in, it lasts for no more than five seconds. This one went on for like 20. There were nice. two. There were two distinct <laughs> bumpers. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they were so good. But this guy's deal, uh, Carts, is actually a uh, guy, um, Richard K. Schell. That's 78 Minutes. Who founded this company and it was, it's entire, it's the same story as Nostalgia Merchant where basically it's like we're getting the like cheapest Mm -hmm. public domain things we can get and releasing it on. Oh, I didn't, you didn't show me this last time. Oh yeah. 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 And also I think this is a dupe because you'll notice that there's a lot more tape. Yeah, it says scotch right on it. It says scotch on it and T90 <laughs> on the spine. Oh, there you the go. Like, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so someone bought this and then recorded their own. Either that or my guess is that it was in a uh, it was a video rental and mm. maybe the original was starting to get a little uh, yeah. a little messed up. It was interesting. Yeah, this is yeah. a lot of tape for what is not even an hour and a half. Yeah, mine, my copy that I watched did not have bumpers because I think they didn't have the space because they really cheaped out. They... It was recorded at EP speed, so I had like that much tape on the reel. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's about the same as the uh, other copy that we have up yeah. there. Yeah, uh, and that might actually explain some of the tracking issues. But I didn't I didn't uh, check to see if it was recorded at EP, but that, oh, yeah. that would explain a lot. Yeah, my uh, auto tracking VCR was going crazy once I stuck that tape in. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> But when you were talking about clamshells, I was going to mention like all the Disney movies mm-hmm. bring clamshells, which would go to your theory around kids. They, but they hurt so much. Like, why didn't they make those safer? The edges oh, yeah. on Disney, like edges, yeah, they suck. On the Disney ones are so sharp. sharp. Yeah, sharp. Yeah, it was interesting. After watching uh, Thirty Nine Steps, found out that there was a nineteen fifty nine version, a remake. Mm. This is what I've heard. And we literally decided to watch that back to back. And how long was that one? Uh, it's a little bit longer because they try to like play it out and like, uh, I guess, fill some gaps. Like in the movie, he gets off of the bridge, but they don't show how he gets off the bridge. This movie decided it had to show him getting down to the bridge, like never had any problem. If had, well, if you have an, a, a good idea, was was it? A, did they have good ideas about how to get him it, off the it bridge? Was, it was not good. I, I can't not recommend it enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was, it, what's funny about it though, and I was kind of glad I was watching it because it was the same year that Alfred Hitchcock did North by Northwest. Oh, wow. Which was where he was drawing on yeah. those same tropes. Like he, totally. It was kind of like he was building on these things that he'd already done for a long time and yeah, he was yeah. creating something like a masterwork. Right. The guy who directed uh, this remake actually asked Alfred Hitchcock how he felt about him remaking 39 Steps and and Alfred Hitchcock was like... And what kind of like, catty bitchy thing did no, he was like, <laughs> He was like, have at it, but he was also like... I'm sure you won't make it as well as I would kind of thing, right? <laughs> there, there it is. <laughs> um, but uh, I was like, oh, my God. Because, like, the film, like, quality and color and everything, just, yeah, it's 100% that same year that North by Northwest came out. Mm-hmm. And it, when you look at it in that way, mm-hmm. it so pales in comparison. But it was, it's kind of like the... Uh, the Psycho remake mm-hmm. where they did the shop. It's not a shot for shot remake. Yeah. But was, was that Gus Van I think you might be right. Yeah, but it was like a, a shot-for-shot remake it, it, that also included extra little bits that may or may not have been needed. Yeah, and this one wasn't necessarily a shot-for-shot, shot, but it was like very much like 
were, they were trying to contem- make it more contemporary. Mm-hmm. You know, they changed the, um, not MacGuffin, but the, because um, in the first one, it's like an engine. And the second right, one, it's right. like, uh, yes. has to do with like a, a missile or something the like that. state secret. So they changed been... some things. They wanted to make it contemporary, but. A the... engine? Uh-huh. Yeah, the thing Mr. Memory starts citing. Yeah, it's like end. a formula. It's like a silent how, engine. Yeah, how to build an engine, yeah. <laughs> um, which she shoots with it. a gun at the beginning. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, That's funny. Yeah, yeah. Shot the engine. <laughs> She's hiding it in her purse. <laughs> uh, oh, also, did you notice uh, when he, um, when the professor has him at gunpoint in his office? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and he says, uh, I'm gonna, I can just leave you alone in the room with this revolver. Right. Oh, the sheriff. Isn't that the sheriff? No, that's the professor. He's the guy with the the, yeah. the nub. Oh, finger, yes. Right? Yeah. Okay. He's actually not holding a revolver at all. No, it's like it's a tiny just a, little... It's like a pistol. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, also, I was, I, I was like scouring the internet trying to find out if there was some significance to the fact that Herring shows like one... He brings her over to his apartment, and he's like, are you hungry? Here's, like, some herring that he and just pulls out of the fridge. The Scottish. And, oh, like, starts frying. Yeah. Um, so they have, like, herring and bread. Yeah. And uh, The Scottish farmers cook herring. He asks him if, he, if he'd eat herring. And then when they're, he's doing the improv speech at the uh, election rally or whatever. That was pretty cool. Yeah, that was a great scene. I love <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, that's great. That's uh, great. Some great ad-libbing there. Uh, but he goes, okay, what, let's open it up to the topic. And some woman like is like, let's talk about the herring fisheries. And I'm just like, what is it with herring in this movie? And it's like, is it referring to like a red herring? That, that is it referring like it to be... like, and I, I just literally cannot find anything mm. It tell, yeah. tells me it was intentional or not. But maybe, like, maybe like the herring itself is a red herring. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I was really upset that we never got to hear the answer to what causes like something in chickens. That old man at the beginning of the movie, um, before the riot breaks out, or as the riot is breaking out at the beginning because of the gunshot. Like he wants, I'm pretty sure he's a farmer. Mm. He was just like, how, like what, what causes this in chickens? And he's just like, um, he's not trying to get out of the building because he's desperate to get the answer to this question. And he's yeah. kind of getting crushed by yeah. the stampede. <laughs> and his wife's embarrassed because he's like asking, I guess, something that makes him look lowbrow or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> She's like embarrassed because of the question he's trying to get answered. I like. That's I felt. Funny. I felt so so bad for this man. I'm just like, just please, someone give him the answer to this question. Some, <laughs> someone save his chickens. <laughs> yeah, I was like, even though he said it like three times, and ended up kind of reviewing that scene a second time, I still didn't know what he was saying. Oh, because the thick I, accent. Cause, well, because the audio, I just like. Sure, yeah. And yeah, the accent probably. Um, but yeah, I was like. I don't even know what he's saying. Um, <laughs> I, I'm really, in a strange way, I'm like forming a relationship with this movie, and it was totally like not a thing that I was trying to do. It's just now I've seen it a couple times, yeah. and I've become curious about it. But it is also considered such a seminal work mm-hmm. for so many people. I think that's what actually maybe uh, compels me to it a little bit more, is that there are people who would say that this is where escapist entertainment for instance, begins. 
Um, you know, uh, and a as you mentioned, uh, Josh, ta how so much of um, vintage uh, British uh, Hitchcock kind of comes to fruition here. And then it, this is like the launch pad for everything that he does in his career later yeah. on and like really refines. I think it's one of those, and I agree with you, like when you watch it again, it starts to, you actually start to get it more, I think. Mm -hmm. um, the thing that is really tough for us is we've, we're carrying so much baggage of everything that's come since. Yeah. Mm. And yeah, it's, yeah. it's like, it's like for someone who's born in the last, you know, 15 years, the Beatles, why were the Beatles like so famous? Well, like you have to know what, the music scene was like before right. they came on the scene, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, totally. Or even what the music scene was like as yeah. they were and the, and the where they started. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And at the beginning of this movie, there are some very film noir shots. Mm. Uh, like when he goes to the coat check or like the ticket booth or whatever. Okay. Like there, uh, and when they walk into the apartment, the way it's lit uh, without the light on. Uh, very film noir, but this is like five years before film noir really. Was the genre even? Right. Okay. Okay. So if you can somehow, I, I feel like it's one of those things where you have to be educated on everything that you're taking for granted mm -hmm. to see why this movie was so impactful. That makes sense. Uh, the friend of mine that originally recommended it to me recommended it because his favorite film class that he took in school was his film noir class. Nice. So so uh, that, that makes a lot of sense that, yeah. that you're spelling it out for me there. Well, one word description on this guy. <laughs> um, incongruous wit. <laughs> incongruous wit. Okay. <laughs> um, because I, I do appreciate uh, like Hitchcock's humor. It was just really jarring in in this movie because of the the subject matter and and the stakes. And it just seemed like it would really like drastically turn on a dime whenever we were experiencing like levity or half of what you're saying starts out as like a threat and then it turns into a joke. And I struggled with it. Sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, my one word was going to be herring, but if we're, <laughs> if we're able to use a phrase, I'm going to say, you like herring? You like herring? <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was that, that whole scene where he's like in her the apartment and he's like, you like herring? And then he like just pulls out a whole fish out of the fridge. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> funny. That's gotta be a, that's gotta be a time and a place thing. Uh, I wonder if it's some yeah. sociological thing. Like well, that. I was also thinking like, well, he didn't have, probably didn't have saran wrap, you know, like, so it would make sense that it's just sitting in the fridge. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like stuff like that, that like, uh, again, like has come since. Right. That makes the the way they treat their food and stuff in the fridge like weird. Yeah, like yeah, I just I just found that that scene to be like awkwardly funny. That's I'm sure hard. food yeah. historians would know about this. So if you're a food oh, sure. historian, yeah, just let us know us how commonplace was it to have and cook and feed to people whole herrings, or if it's a it's a an intentional thing put in by Alfred. Yeah. Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. Any Hitch Hitchcock scholars? Yeah. Did you have one? Um, I, I you don't, don't have to. I don't you know. have one locked and loaded. But but um, as someone who's I, been strangely, I I would say obsessed um, with this movie. Okay. Uh, mystique, mystique. Oh. This movie has a mystique about it. Mm. Um, and uh, 
yeah, it's just one of those movies I look forward to forming a relationship with, like uh, Citizen King, like King Kong, you know. Yeah. All right. right. I would rewind. Yeah, I'd rewind. Oh, you didn't ask me about that one. Oh. Would you rewind A Perfect World? (laughs) (laughs) In a perfect world, I would and I did. In Um, a perfect world, we wouldn't have to rewind. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I don't think I rewind this. Like, only because, like, I would not rewind this exact tape because the transfer is so bad. Mm -hmm. It is such an unpleasant experience to not be able to see what you're watching. Especially, uh, I'm like, I'm sure there's no audio descriptions on here if or any other accessibility features. <laughs> um, oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but right at, like, immediately after we watched this, you popped in the Criterion DVD just to see what yeah. is this movie supposed to look yeah. like if it could look at its best. Yeah. And it looked really good. It looks yeah. great. It yeah. looks great. Uh, so this, this tape I would not rewind. On to the mystery part of Mystery Simon Theater. The taste that I'm going to have to watch next week. Our guest next week is Stephen Como. In the first tape, right? Is his? Yes. Okay. Shit! That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> this is a very fun movie. I I I don't know if like I don't love Con Air, but I'm very excited about it. This is a very fun movie. And talk about a tragic anti-hero. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. All right. I think the last time I saw this movie was when it came out. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. The, uh, I can't think of this movie without thinking of... Uh, I used to work at a theme park. And in one of the break rooms that we had for a really long time, we were kind of allowed to bring movies and just like watch them. Like No one was really monitoring us. Um even though the television was facing the door that opened up into this kind of hallway where guests and children would walk by all all day, every day. And Con Air was the tape that was playing when uh, some kids were walking or some family was walking by and some parents complained. And then we couldn't watch videos anymore. No. Uh, because of Con Air, sort of. It wouldn't be kind of Con Air. It's because of parents. Parents are the worst. Okay. The next movie is your... Well, they're both random. Well, they're both random. Uh, So this time I went on ahead and did a random pick uh, since I've been doing, you know, a little bit of curation. Interesting. Okay. Um, That's what I said. I'm looking forward to this one. You know, I'm excited about everyone on here. This is Cactus Flower. And right, like, first thing I see is Walter Matthau, uh, who we've been talking about quite a lot lately. We've been talking about him. Ingrid Bergman, Bergman and, and a very, Goldie very Hawn. young Goldie Hawn. So cool. It always bothers me when the names of the actors don't line up with their... Like, Both of these. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I understand how that happens. And you, who's worked as a designer previously, it's like you get... You know, like Nick Cage is the most important person, so he has to be first, but he also has to be center. And it's like, okay, uh, you sacrifice visual logic for uh, studio contracts. And so this is the other, another random tape. Okay. 
Yeah, this uh, I've okay. This is so this called... is not a Kevin Costner movie. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> <Thank God. laughs> seems close. <laughs> I mean, I'm excited about everyone on the on here so far. So it's uh, it's called Waterland. It's uh, Jeremy Irons and a very young Ethan Hawke. Um, and someone recently pointed out to me that Ethan Hawke has never been in a blockbuster. Gattaca was mm. a blockbuster. Gattaca was not, but mm. that's a good movie. That was a good movie. It's got big names in it, sure, but it's it wasn't like a wait, wasn't he in it was Con Air? Budget. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, I've seen this cover before, and it sort of reminds me of Dead Poet Society, but I know that's not what it is. I'm sure. Uh, we'll find out next week. Okay, Josh, is there anything you'd like to let everyone know about before we close this thing out? Um. No, thanks for having me on the show. Um, I encourage everybody to watch more movies. Yeah, cool. Awesome. <laughs> at home. Awesome. Like at in, home. Be be proud of your at-home setup. I know we yeah. we are. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. yeah Find if the you, one you like. If you're, if you're watching movies, you know, on the built-in speaker in your TV, go buy a sound bar. Take it up to the next level. We're we're watching it on the built-in speaker. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry. I'm in on a modern flat panel TV. Oh yeah, yeah. Because there are actually even worse speakers. Oh, because they're imagined. behind, right? Well, oh, it's right, because right, they don't right. have any space for the speakers. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Old CRTs they're have just, better speakers. Yeah. Yeah. Any. Get yourself a CRT. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly how the director intended you to see. It. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite images is the um, backs uh, of a. Uh, a seat in an airplane that has like a little uh, monitor and it's showing the opening uh, credits of 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> and the tagline was like, finally, I'm getting to see it exactly the way the director intended. <laughs> Have you ever seen that video of David Lynch ranting about watching, about how the kids these days watch movies on their phone and that's... Oh, I think I saw it, yeah. It's It's adorable. Um, I recommend everyone watch it. Otherwise, uh, thank you so much for joining us to talk about A Perfect World, Panic Room, and The 39 Steps. If you'd like to see the trailers, I include the full clips of our trailers in my newsletter, which for now you can find at weirdwonderfulstuff.substack.com. Thank you, and I'll see you on the other side. Yeah, thanks a lot, y'all. 